Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. In this episode of our podcast, we're continuing on in our sermon series called One Year From Now. And throughout the series, what we're trying to do is help you to become more like Jesus one year from now. But you can't be more like Jesus if you don't know who Jesus is. So throughout this entire series, we've been exploring stories from the book of Matthew, which is a biography of Jesus, to learn more about who Jesus is. But I told you a couple of weeks back, when we're working our way through this book of Matthew, we need to keep our eyes open because Jesus is going to surprise us. And that's definitely the case in the story that we're going to be reading about today. So let's get right into this episode sermon. So all through the month of January here in Melbourne Heights, we've been working our way through a series of sermons called One Year From Now. And throughout the series, what we're trying to do is help you become the person you want to be one year from now. But we all know how difficult that is because every single one of us has different things that we want to accomplish over the course of the next 12 months. But regardless of what your goals may be for your physical or mental health, what your goals may be for your personal finances or relationships, there's at least one goal that all of us who are followers of Jesus should have for our lives. And what is this goal? Well, the Apostle Paul sums it up for us in a letter that he writes to some of the very first followers of Jesus who were living in an ancient place called Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul tells us this. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So in these verses, Paul tells us that we are to be imitators of God. But what exactly does that mean? Well, when Paul tells us that we're supposed to be imitators of God, is what he's trying to tell us is that we should try to have the same manner and character of God. So essentially what Paul is telling us in this passage is that as followers of Jesus, our goal is to be more like Jesus. So that's what we're really trying to accomplish during this series of sermons. One year from now, we want to help you to be more like Jesus. One year from now, we want to help you be more like Jesus. But in order to become more like Jesus, you got to know who Jesus is. So all through this series, all month long, we have been working our way together through the book of Matthew, which is a biography of Jesus, so that we can get to know who Jesus is better. And we're going to continue to do that today by taking a look at what I think is one of the most challenging passages that we read about Jesus in all of the Gospels. Now, this particular passage is found in Matthew chapter 15, and it's challenging because of the way that Jesus interacts with a woman who comes to him looking for help. But before we dig deeper into this story, i got to tell you that as I was reading Matthew chapter 15 this past week, I couldn't help but think of the movie Forrest Gump while I was reading this particular passage. And I know that may sound a little bit weird that I'm thinking about a movie when Jesus seems to be talking down to a person, but let me explain to you exactly what I mean. Now, there are a few movies that have captured our cultural imagination the way that Forrest Gump did when it was first released back in the 90s. Uh, when Forrest Gump, the year that it was released, it won the Oscar, the Academy Award for Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Director, and Best Screenplay. Winning those four awards is something that only 22 other films have ever done. But the movie Forrest Gump is way more than just an award-winning film. It's 
also a film that introduced more than a handful of phrases into our cultural lexicon that I continue to hear people say all these years later. Phrases like, stupid is, stupid does, or life's like a box of chocolates, or the one that I probably hear the most frequently because I participate in 5Ks and 10Ks and many marathons. Run, Forrest, run! But that's not all of this film either. This film also introduced us and told us that there are at least 20 different ways to prepare shrimp, covering everything from barbecuing it to putting it on a sandwich. And it's the only film that I can think of that launched a successful chain of restaurants called Bubba Gump Shrimp Company where you can try all of these ways to prepare shrimp. But above all of these things, what Forrest Gump is, it's a film that gives us a front row seat to some of the most important events of the latter 20th century. And we get to see them all through the eyes of Forrest Gump. And what an incredible life this fictional character lives, right? I mean, Forrest Gump gets to shake hands with presidents and share too much information with them. Forrest Gump gets to speak at the March on Washington, and he gets to talk with John Lennon on the Dick Cavett Show. Forrest Gump is a, an important player on the University of Alabama's football team, and he becomes a world-renowned ping-pong player. And when I think about all of these things that Forrest Gump does in his fictional life, it's kind of hard for me to relate to. And it's hard for me to relate to because I've never met a president of the United States Although I was about six feet away from the First Lady when, uh, when my family and I got to visit the White House last summer. Um, I've never marched on Washington. I've never been the guest on a talk show. I was an average high school football player. And I'm not nearly coordinated enough to be any good at ping pong. So I struggle to relate to Forrest Gump. Because if you were going to look at my life, most people would describe it as being average, not incredible. But there is at least one story that I don't find it that difficult to relate to. Well, maybe two parts if you consider that we both like running. But the part of Forrest Gump's story that I have no problem relating to is actually a scene that we see play out two different times inside of this famous film. And both of these scenes, they play out as Forrest Gump is climbing onto a crowded bus. Now, the first time this scene plays out, when Forrest Gump is just a kid, and that bus is filled with other students that are headed off for their first day of school. The second time it plays out, that bus is filled with grown men who have just enlisted in the army. But in both of these scenes, as Forrest Gump is making his way down the center of the aisle, trying to find a place to sit down, every person he passes says the same thing to him over and over again. Time and time, they say to him, Seats taken. Seats taken. And every time that Forrest Gump hears those two words, he feels rejected and alone. That's something I can relate to. That's something that all of us can relate to. Now, maybe it happened for you when you were on an actual bus trying to find a place to sit down and nobody wanted you to sit beside them. Or maybe it happened when you were on a playground as a kid and nobody wanted to pick you to be on their kickball team. Maybe it happened your first day in a new school when you were trying to find a table to sit at to eat lunch. Or maybe it happened your first day in a new office and you were just hoping to find a friendly face in the cubicle next to yours. Maybe it's happened when you were at a big family gathering or even 
happen when you are attending a church worship service, but it's happened to us all. There have been times when we have all felt rejected and alone. There have been times when we have all felt rejected and alone. And that was even true in biblical times. And it's especially true for the woman that we're going to be reading about in Matthew chapter 15. So if you've got a Bible close by, let me encourage you to go ahead and grab it and turn with me to Matthew chapter 15. We're going to take a look at this woman's story and her encounter with Jesus together tonight. So Matthew 15, we're going to start reading in verse 21. Here's what Matthew writes. He says, from there, Jesus went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from those territories came out and shouted, Show me mercy, son of David. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Now, I want to pause here for just a minute. Because in these first two verses of this passage, we're already seeing a scene play out that we've seen before inside of the book of Matthew and inside of the Gospels. We hear that Jesus is traveling from one place to another, and as he is traveling, he comes across someone who is in need. Now, we've already worked our way through the first 14 chapters of the book of Matthew. So at this point, all of us have some idea of who Jesus is. And because we have an idea of who Jesus is, we know how Jesus is going to respond inside of this story. We've seen this movie before. We know that when somebody comes to Jesus asking Jesus for help, that Jesus is going to help them. That's just what Jesus does. not what Jesus does for this woman. So let's keep reading and see what Jesus does inside of this passage. We're going to pick back up in verse 23. Here's what Matthew tells us. He says, but he, that is Jesus, didn't respond to her at all. His disciples came and they urged him, send her away. She keeps shouting after us. Jesus replies, I've been sent only to the lost the people of Israel. But she knelt before him and said, Lord, help me. He replied, it's not good to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall off their master's table. What on earth is happening in this passage of Scripture? I mean, like I said, we we know when we read this passage, we know what Jesus is supposed to do. Because when people come to Jesus and they ask Jesus for help, he helps them. That's not what he does here. Instead, Jesus not only tries to avoid this woman's request for help, Jesus tries to avoid this woman altogether in this passage. And when Jesus is finally forced to interact with this woman, well, let's just say he doesn't behave in a very Christ-like fashion. I mean, let's just be completely honest here. Jesus doesn't act like Jesus in this passage of Scripture. And I know this is going to be really weird to hear somebody say this in church, but it needs to be said. In this passage, Jesus acts like a jerk. I mean, he does. And because Jesus acts like a jerk in this passage of Scripture, both biblical experts and theological scholars have been trying to figure out why Jesus could behave this way. It's like one prominent Christian leader, Brian McLaren, puts it when he says, 
their encounter is disturbing because Jesus certainly appears to be a racist. He responds to her request for mercy and healing for her daughter, first by ignoring her, and then by saying, I was sent only for the lost sheep of Israel. And then by using language that to our ear sounds indefensibly dehumanizing and racist, calling her a dog, he refers to her people. Some readers try to save Jesus from the appearance of racism, along with the appearance of changing his mind, would say that Jesus was simply engaging in wordplay with the woman, that he knew all along that he was going to heal her daughter. However, playing with a distraught mother and using dehumanizing language to do so wouldn't save him from anything, in my opinion. And you know what? When you read these eight verses of Scripture, Brian McClure is right. These eight verses of Scripture, Jesus sounds like a racist. And it starts almost at the beginning of this passage. In the second verse, when Matthew describes this woman to us and he tells us that she is a Canaanite woman. Now, I know that for most of us, when we read this passage of Scripture, we jump right past that description because when we see that word Canaanite, we think it's just another place that doesn't really mean a whole lot to us from biblical times. So we jump right past it and keep reading the rest of the story. But when we jump past the description that this woman is a Canaanite woman, we're missing out on a really important part of the story. Let me explain what I mean. When Matthew tells him that this woman is a Canaanite woman, this is the only time, the only time in the entire New Testament where you will find the word Canaanite. One time, entire New Testament, it's right here. And that happens. The reason why the word Canaanite is only used one time in the entire New Testament is that because by the time of the New Testament, by the first century, there weren't any Canaanites anymore. They had been invaded and defeated and completely conquered and wiped off the face of the earth long before Jesus ever encounters this woman. So why is it that Matthew describes her as a Canaanite woman to us? Well, he does it in part because she is living in an area, in the area that once would have been known as Canaan. And it's also a way of showing us that she is not Jewish. But there's another reason why Matthew calls her a Canaanite woman. And it's because Matthew wants us to draw our minds back to another time in Israel's history. The time when the people of Israel had returned to the promised land and they were reclaiming it from the people that were living there. They were having to fight them as enemies. The Canaanites were one of those people. The book of Deuteronomy recounts this time in history for us in Deuteronomy 7, verses 1 through 5, which says this for us. It says, Now once the Lord your God brings you into the land you were entering to take possession of it, it's the promised land. And he drives out numerous nations before you, the Hittites, the Gergeshites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations that are larger and stronger than you. Once the Lord your God lays them before you, you must strike them down, placing them under the ban. Don't make any covenants with them. Don't be merciful to them. Don't intermarry with them. Don't give your daughter to one of their sons to marry. And don't take one of their daughters to marry your son. Because they will turn your children away from following me so that they end up serving other gods. That will make the Lord's anger burn against you. 
and he will quickly annihilate you. Instead, this is what you must do to these nations. Rip down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their sacred poles, and burn their idols. After hearing that passage from Deuteronomy, can you start to understand why Jesus talks to this woman the way that he does? Why Jesus refers to this woman as God? Jesus does this because everyone else in all of Israel would have thought that that's exactly what this woman was. Everyone else in all of Israel would have thought that this woman was nothing more than a dog. She was an outsider. She was part of a people that were supposed to be destroyed. She was meant to be despised as an enemy. And Jesus didn't want to have mercy on her because in Deuteronomy chapter 7, the people of Israel were told not to show mercy to people like the Canaanites. So when we read all of this, we start understanding some of the background that's playing inside of the story. But it still doesn't explain exactly why Jesus acts like a jerk, right? Well, there's more to this story than we have to be aware of in order to fully comprehend and appreciate what's happening in this particular passage. As a matter of fact, for us to really appreciate what's happening in this passage, we need to rewind just a little bit inside of the book of Matthew and take a look at what happens right before Jesus meets and interacts with this Canaanite woman. So grab your Bible again, turn back with me to Matthew 15, but this time I want to start reading in verse 10 so we can see this bigger picture together. Right, this is what Matthew writes, starting in verse 10. He says, Jesus called the crowd near and said to them, Listen and understand. It's not what goes into your mouth that contaminates the person in God's sight. It's what comes out of the mouth that contaminates the person. Then the disciples came to him and said, You know, you know that the Pharisees were offended by what you just said? Jesus replied, Every plan that my heavenly Father didn't plan to be pulled up. Leave the Pharisees alone. They're blind people who are guides to blind people. But if a blind person leaves another blind person, they'll both fall into a ditch. Then Peter spoke up. Explain this riddle to us. Jesus said, don't you understand yet? Don't you know that everything that goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what goes out of your mouth comes from the heart. That's what contaminates a person in God's sight. Out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murders, adultery, sexual sins, thefts, false testimonies, and insults. These contaminate a person in God's sight. But eating without washing your hands doesn't contaminate you in God's sight. All right, after hearing those verses, you're probably still wondering, what does this interaction that Jesus has with the disciples have to do with his interaction with this Canaanite woman? Well, in the verses that we just read, Jesus is talking about what makes someone clean. And in this passage, he says what makes someone clean is what goes out from them, those things they control, not what goes into them, things that are beyond their control. But when Jesus' disciples, when the people of Israel, think about this Canaanite woman, they continue to think that she is unclean simply because of who she is because of her nationality, her ethnicity, the fact that she is Canaanite. 
so when Jesus interacts with this woman in the passage we started reading with, he's trying to show the disciples. He's trying to show the people of Israel that they've got it wrong. He interacts with this woman, and he does it in a very harsh way. Because Jesus wants to give this woman the opportunity to prove to the people of Israel, to prove to the disciples that their stereotypes about this Canaanite woman are wrong. Jesus gives this woman the opportunity to show that she has great faith. And that's exactly what the woman does in this story. Every time that Jesus comes to her with a reason that the people of Israel would have, why this woman didn't deserve to have her daughter healed, this woman responds in faith. She refuses to back down. And ultimately, it leads Jesus to say in front of his disciples, for everyone to hear, this woman has great faith right before he heals her daughter. But what is it that makes this woman's faith so great? Well, to go back to the simplified logic of Forrest Gump, throughout her entire life, this Canaanite woman had been told to eat cake. She had been told that the seat was taken by people who were richer than her. She was told the seat was taken by people who were more powerful than her. She was told the seat was taken by people that were stronger than her. She was told that her seat was taken by people that were just better than her. But this Canaanite woman's faith caused her to refuse to accept that reality. Because her faith said that the seat's taken mentality is not what God is all about. Her faith told her that there was room for her in God's kingdom. There was room for her daughter in God's kingdom. There is room for people just like her in God's kingdom. So this Canaanite woman wasn't going to give up until she had a seat. And when she did that, by refusing to give up, by maintaining her faith in God, she proved to all of Israel, she proved to Jesus' disciples that there was room for her. And when Jesus interacts with her, Jesus ultimately shows us who God really is. Jesus shows us that our God is a God that always says, you can sit here if you want. Our God is a God that always says, you can sit here if you want. Because in God's kingdom, there is always room. In God's kingdom, there is room for anyone and everyone. And that includes you. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this word of prayer, we thank you for this difficult story. God, the truth is, it's still a hard story for us to read. But in this story, Jesus speaks to this woman like everyone else in Israel had been treating her her entire life to give her an opportunity to show that she had great faith in you, to prove to everyone in Israel that it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter what classifications we want to use to put on a person. Faith is faith. We can all have incredible faith in you. So God, my prayer is that you help all of us to realize 
the same thing that this Canaanite woman did. Help us to realize that there's room for us in you. There's room for everyone in you. God, help us to be people that as other folks are traveling down the journey of life, climbing on those busy buses, help us to be people who say, we can sit here instead of telling them that the seats are Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our Sermon Podcast. And I hope that this episode has reminded you that in a world that constantly tells us that the seat's taken, that God will always tell you that you can sit here if you want. God will always make room for you. Well, that's going to do it for this week's episode, but we hope that you'll come back and join us when our next episode drops as we finish up this series on One Year From Now. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. But you can also come and worship with us live on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time. You can join us at mhbclouisville.com slash live. We'd love to have you join us. Well, until next time, I hope that you have a great week. We'll be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another Sermon Podcast.